Welcome to episode 3 of Caravan Conversations. On this episode, I head to the medical sanctuary on Queensland's Gold Coast to speak with holistic GP and obstetric surgeon Dr. Ellen Apthomas. We firstly analyse the role of general practitioners in current times and the difficulty in supplying adequate patient health care under the current regime. We discuss Dr. Ellen's special interest in what is now a very hot topic indeed, the gut-brain axis, the very complex neurohormonal communication system which is ultimately responsible for keeping your body in a balanced state. We drill down on how this bi-directional system affects you via its integrated web of neuroendocrine, immunological, microbial and primary digestive and excretory actions. How stress affects you, the importance of a healthy liver, the role of the gut microbiome and its impact on how you feel, leaky gut syndrome, irritable bowel syndrome and much, much, much more, all discussed right here. If this podcast resonates with you or is a topic that you feel family or friends would enjoy, please share the link with them. Your support of PSE ensures continued access to guests of this calibre and keeps me on the road to bring you guys the goods. Your support is greatly appreciated. Get comfortable, people. This episode is about to begin. What changes hast thou seen? There where the long street roars hath been the stillness of the central sea. The hills are shadows, and they flow from form to form, and nothing stands like clouds that shape themselves and go. You are listening to Caravan Conversations with Shannon Brenton. Caravan Conversations is proudly produced by PSE Supplements and explores general health, nutrition and lifestyle with one of Australia's most experienced clinicians. Now, let's get into the show. All right, and we are rolling. So, welcome everyone to another episode of Caravan Conversations. I'm your host, Shannon Brenton, and today I'm sitting in a really cool place on the Gold Coast called the Medical Sanctuary, which is really the brainchild and creation of the lady in front of me. And it's really awesome to sit with someone of uh, such a standpoint in the medical industry. She's a lady who's taking things to the next level, viewing people uh, in a in a, a state and rate of which they need to in order for the process of healing to occur. And she's a doctor, she's a surgeon, she's a mother, she's a free thinker, and we're really stoked to have Dr. Ellen Apthomas here today. Thanks for joining us today, Helen. Oh, look, thank you so much, Helen. It is beautiful to be here. Awesome. Thank you. Um, this Gold Coast traffic, let's mm. start off. All right. Please. Mm. 18 minutes it told me to take to get here. It took me about 48 minutes. Yep, yep. Got to love the Commonwealth Games. I think we're getting organised a bit early. Wow, how awesome. So tell us, Ellen, if you don't mind... Um, a little bit about you just as a person, just as a chick, going back before you were a doctor, before you were a mum, all that cool stuff. Who okay. are you? Okay, so born in Adelaide and um, wanted to be an astronaut and <laughs> thought... You failed. Yeah, yeah. Um, thought that the, the path to health was through genetic engineering yep. and I was going to set up a space station with genetic engineering going on, you know, up there, don't know why. So is that my, a true story? This is a dead true story. Wow. So my mother said to me, all right, well, what are you going to do then? I said, well, I better go and do science because I want to get into medical research. And she was a very resourceful woman and got me in front of one of the top genetic engineers in Adelaide at the time who said to me, if you do science, you won't get any funding for medical 
research. So you've got to be a doctor because they're the only people that get the money and then you'll be guaranteed a job. So I went, all right. So got into medicine and I think started working in a genetic engineering lab and realised that the answers were more based upon people rather than actually in the genetic structure itself. So that's a whole interesting conversation. But yep. I realised that um, how much stress can affect the way genes express themselves. You're so genotype, phenotype type this stuff. Is, this is the one. Yep. So the more the more medicine I did, then I just fell in love with dealing with people, and I didn't want to be stuck in a lab anyway. So that was that was then how the medical degree occurred. But my mother's very open-minded. So I had been involved with um, uh, sort of Feldenkrais type stuff, Alexander Technique. Yep. Um, Which are uh, postural This is right. Techniques, and yeah. so I was already thinking a little bit more broadly when they were teaching me, you know, drugs and, and medication. And so I, I kept asking these annoying questions like, well, if we're going to give a drug that blocks calcium why don't we just give people magnesium you know if magnesium and calcium compete and so then I was thrown to the back of the class continuously and I thought all right well you guys don't really want to think more broadly so I'll just keep quiet and I'll just finish my medical degree and and eventually realized that um, I needed to set up a practice where people could be exposed to all good options so along the way managed to fall in love with my husband and then managed to have three children and somehow kept on managing to work through it all and one night I realised how much love energises you and I would see the change even that love can have on your body structures. Mm. So that there are the, these big pictures going on that sometimes the black and white science doesn't always have answers for. So that's uh, that's really in a nutshell how it all happened, I think. Does that so make tell, sense? Yeah, 100% for sure. <laughs> and tell, give us a – look, I'm just going to go straight there. Um, I can only – I can only anticipate the difficulty being a doctor moving into uh, holistic regimes. It it tends to struggle against the whole process of allopathic reform, right? You know, which is based yep. upon bring a patient in, diagnose a condition, treat yep. appropriately, yep. next. Yep, you know? yep. Uh, absolutely. So how difficult has that been for you as a doctor to, to push against that reform? Look, I, I think I've been lucky in the fact that I have seen where conventional medicine fits yep. and I've seen where a broader holistic medicine fits. You know, if you are having a heart attack, you go to the hospital. You know, if you need an operation, you go to the hospital. Um, If you have a chronic disease, though, like chronic fatigue, um, diabetes, um, chronic inflammatory conditions, then you need someone to explain what your body is doing to you and that is more where I see holistic medicine fall in. So I think people have to be smart about who they put themselves in front of to get the answers that they're looking for. Sure. I've always had good experiences with my conventional colleagues because I've been able to explain my thought process to them well. Um, they've teased me about the fact that I've got green smoke coming out the back of the <laughs> clinic here. Um, but But what I do get now that I've been on the Gold Coast nearly... 20 years now, um, I'm now getting positive feedback from some of the conventional specialists and and the other conventional GPs saying, hmm, your patients seem to be doing really well. Yeah. And the evidence is slowly starting to become clear with time. And I I think when when you're trained as a doctor, if you've never been exposed to any holistic medicine, you genuinely believe that everything that you know 
when you walk out of med- medical school, is it? You yeah. know, you genuinely think that, um, you know, the brain is separate to the gut, to the liver, to the skin, and that there are specific drugs that will counteract and balance a disease process that's going on in there. And you don't know any other options and you're not taught what the deep underlying cause of these problems at a cellular level is. And as a doctor, conventionally, you've got 10 minutes to see someone, they walk into your room, you want to do the right thing, you have a script pad in front of you and it's it's what we're taught to do. Yep. And there are times when that is exactly what that patient needs. It needs that medication. Um, but if you have patients who want to take responsibility for their health and really want to know what's going on at a deeper level, you, you need more knowledge than just what they teach us in our conventional medical training. So you believe then that uh, the bulk of the issues as far as um, you know, uh, allopathic approach goes starts with education? I do, I do. And what's the likelihood of that ever changing in your eyes? Because hmm. um, now you're talking about doctors becoming naturopaths essentially, aren't you? Mm, you know? I, mm. Good ones. Very good ones, very good ones. <laughs> Look, I think what is going to happen is that patient demands and patient knowledge is going to affect and change what the average doctor not feels they need to know. Yeah. They did a survey, I think it was um, uh, one of the Sydney universities, and 50% of medical students wanted to understand holistic medicine. Um a slightly high majority of female medical students wanted to know compared to males, but, um, you know, it's getting there. And the reality is going to be that if you look at how many people are on supplements, um, the doctors are confronted with what supplements do and they see the benefits that, that their patients receive from being on certain supplements. And so that will drive the average doctor's good intentions, who at the end of the day, they've got into medicine because they genuinely want to help people, that will drive them having to upskill, even if they're just doing it themselves at home on good old Dr. Google, um, that will help that understanding and therefore that will flow on from there. I, I really believe that it's always the demand that ends up driving the ultimate of you know? supply and demand. Exactly, exactly. So tell me, it must be difficult for these guys. And you know, I know lots of doctors exactly in that boat that are awesome people that got into medicine with a genuine interest of people and obviously practicing, you know, the art of medicine to you know encourage people back to a state of health. But it must be difficult for them when the the the, the process of um, a consultation is 10 minutes, yep. you know, like seriously, yep, how much absolutely. can you learn in 10 minutes? That's exactly it's, right. It's negligible. Yep. Yep. So how do we go about actually changing this? Because even if these doctors are skilled in looking at, you know, the body, you know, or the, the human apparatus in its single mm. form rather than, you know, through multiple um, multiple systems, mm. how do they actually get the time? How do we fix this Medicare system that's so based on getting people in and out? Mm. You know, I, I think... It, it's changing my chair. It's yes, squeaking. Yes, it is squeaking. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know that the other one's going to be any better. Um, look, I, I I don't know that I have the answer, Shannon, really. Um, so how do you get around it then? Are you I, still doing 10-minute consults or are you extending yours? No. My first consultation with a patient, if I've never seen them before, is 45 minutes. Okay. That That is the shortest time frame I can reasonably squash everything that I need to know about that person is yep. because – in order for me to make a good decision about what that person needs, that person is an individual in their own right. There are genetic factors that have come down from their parents, but they have their own lifestyle, their own thought process, their own stresses, um, their own way that they enjoy life. 
and their own passions and that has an effect on their biochemistry. So even if I've seen every other member of that family, I'm going to need to know each individual person in order for me to make a, a good clinical assessment of them, know what tests they need and therefore what, what treatment regime will suit them best. Sure. And I think what Medicare did was as soon as the government took over and started paying doctors, so rather than the person themselves valuing the, the service that they're about to receive from a practitioner, it then took some degree of responsibility away from the patient. Exactly right. I 100% agree. And yep. that changes everything in yep. my mind. Mm. So it makes um, a form of medicine so accessible This is right. that looking outside it is generally unnecessary for this. And, and we also come back to the socioeconomic um, sort of aspects here, yep. don't we? You know, yep. Whether people can afford to spend 45 minutes with a doctor yep. who's really going to look at them, pull their body you know, back to mm. bare bones, so to speak, and mm. look at a way of moving forward. So mm. outside of you know, general standard medical diagnostics, mm. um, uh, you guys here at the medical sanctuary looking sort of more into like you know, genomics and epigenetics and these components as well? Look, um, I tend to start with the physical presentation of the person. I tend to go with what's important to them, what symptoms they're getting that, that are affecting their quality of life and then their physical examination because I'm, the more tests I do, the less focus I put on them, if that makes sense. Yeah. I do tests to make sure that I haven't missed something yep. and to make sure that the way I'm thinking is correct. Um, every test will give you some false misleading information as well as some positive. And at what I've found at the moment is there's a lot of fear in the average person and people, the tests make them worry. And that unfortunately is, I think, what is happening at the moment with our genetic tests. Yeah. They are suddenly coming back with high risks of all these sorts of diseases that they'd never even fathomed. Yep. And what I find is the best way to turn those bad genes on is to stress. Don't worry about it, absolutely. So it's, I mean, while it has its place, um, and it would be great information for the practitioner to know to know how to treat them. It's how do we not put worry back into people's minds? I 100% agree. And yeah, it's mm. funny when you talk about you know genomics and things. I see people exactly in that basket that'll get back. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Get back a um, a test that they might have sent over to the states, yep. and it'll come back and it'll say that you know they've got you know the alleles that will you know make them uh, more likely to have a methylation concern, for yep. instance. Yep. And they take it for gospel, um, mm -hmm. not necessarily realizing that you know just because there's the potential there doesn't mean that that gene has been expressed, That's exactly and that right. we actually do have an issue. So yes. you're 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 talking about getting back to you know the basics of mm. of medicine, right? Mm. You know, you know mm. looking at your patient, mm. talking to your patient. Mm. Um, you know, palpating basic touch and feel type stuff mm. to work out mm. where they're at before going to, you know, the bloods and the CTs mm. and these sorts of things. I, right. I'd imagine you would draw a certain kind of client though as well. Yes. Look, I, I do. I mean, because we don't bulk bill here, people need to pay. Yep. And so you're attracting a certain clientele that can't afford that. Yep. Um, but that often means that you're then attracting a certain clientele that's very highly motivated, but very highly educated. So they're coming in often in a very academic mindset of, this is what my methylation pathways are doing. You know, these are my cryptopyral <laughs> levels. You know, I've done my hair mineral analysis. There's cadmium, there's, you know, copper, and these ratios are out. And I say, okay, look, that's all fine. And we will talk about all of that. I said, but you need to understand that there's that bigger picture going on in your body and that these are pathways that your body is trying to help you through. And it's good to know the weaknesses, but don't get too caught up in the actual minutiae of it. So m most of what I'm doing is helping them to understand so that they can then relax about it. And then we can get on and do the, the absolute basics. You know, this is where the complexity of the body 
is through all these layers. And what I find fascinating is that it's a bit like, you know, love is is the common the common good that we're all going through, but we have to work through so many layers of insecurities and frustrations to get to that absolute unconditional, simple love place. So yeah. the the way to get the body healthy is simple, but going through those layers of that is very complex, if yeah. that makes sense. A hundred percent, most yeah. definitely. Now, I know you've got a special uh, special interest in the, the gut-brain connection. Yep. yep. Um, do you mind giving our listeners, like, I know this is a topic that some people have heard of, you know, the gut being the second brain and, and the like, but... Can you give our listeners a bit of a, uh, an insight as to the enteric nervous system, um, what it is, how it functions, and, and why it's so related to, to the brain? Okay, so I think probably the best way of explaining it is that when we were primitive beings, that was where the, the enteric nervous system formed first. So this is when people talk about you know that gut instinct, that, that primitive... Feeling things. Exactly. Don't yeah. think about it. What, what, what are your absolute inners in is saying to you so that that was the origins of how we've evolved as a species so then what happened is so that these nerves are like a a spider web that just surround um, our intestines probably the best way of putting it Um, and they talk back via the spinal cord and then eventually when we developed a lower brain and then and then our more complex brain they speak to our subconscious really at at a better way easy way of explaining it now Mm. so the way now our brain and our gut is interpreting the environment, then talks to our immune system. Mm. So 75% of our immune system, a lot of people don't know that, actually lines the intestine as well. Exactly. So your your nerves are all about keeping you alive and keeping you safe. And they will send a protective inflammatory signal to your immune system in order to to achieve that, that outcome. So that can then set up inflammatory responses, which is then we start looking at so many of our gut-brain inflammatory conditions that we've got now, you know, our, our fruit allergies, um, our asthma, um, the skin conditions, your eczema, and then, you know, thing you can get get us started about looking at the brain inflammatory responses back. So a lot of people don't know that 75% of our happy brain chemical serotonin is made in the gut yep. and that you can take all the antidepressants in the world that you want, but if and they can only hold on to whatever serotonin your gut is making. So if that enteric nervous system isn't isn't calm, if it isn't happy, it's sending an inflammatory signal to your immune system and your gut won't make very much serotonin. So the average response is then I'm not feeling happy, I'm gonna go and take a drug and some people do feel good and then they think, Oh, I'm cured mm. and I'm like, Well, no, we need to actually get back to what is going on within that nervous system, you know, within the gut. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's interesting because from my training, you know, it's the old mm. sort of naturopathic philosophy, when in doubt, treat the gut. Yep. And that goes back hundreds of years, you yep. know, and it runs into like the septic foci theory, which put that direct link between all inflammatory arthropathies and poor gut function and, yep. you know, this sort of you know, dysbiotic, poor you know, microbiome environment going on. Yep. Um, what's, what's your thoughts? And I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to hear about this. What are your personal thoughts around detoxification as a doctor? Because mm-hmm. I know that out there in the, the greater community and there'll be listeners today that go, you know what, the, the human physiology is a detoxification system as it is. Mm-hmm. And everything's mm-hmm. working all the time. There's no need to augment or you know, change that process whatsoever. But looking back, you know, like I said, through my early training and, and, and what I've seen you know, just through um, you know, auto-intoxication and yep. you know, these sort of yep. mucoid plugs and yep. all the crap we eat, you know, and all yep. Just the stuff from you know, yep. processed lifestyles. What are your personal thoughts around detoxification? Um, at a simple level, I think detoxification is absolutely crucial at the moment to survive the modern world. I think what we've got to remember is that our bodies evolved in a time when the earth was different. 
We didn't have the same chemicals in our environment. We didn't live with plastics. We didn't have hormones and everything that we're eating. Um, we didn't put heavy metals into the in, into the atmosphere. We weren't as stressed as we are now. So what then happens is, yes, our organs do detoxify, but they don't detoxify quickly enough now to keep up with the changes of the modern world at, at, at a simple level. Yeah. And... I see people who are not going to get well until their bodies enable them to clean their system better. So these are conditions like chronic skin conditions and chronic fatigue and um, you know your psoriasis and just that that exhaustion and just not feeling right. You know where there's nothing specific wrong and and doctors have done a thousand tests on you and and there's nothing concerning coming back. So. What happens is that toxins come from lots of different places and what I find is that um, with a lot of the, probably the, the petrochemicals and with a lot of the pesticides, they are living in our body for generation after generation now. You know, So I look at the farming community and I, I look after a lot of people from Cairns and, and up northern Queensland and you can see this pattern where... Grandma, you know, got breast cancer, you know, at 80, but then the daughter started getting, you know, ovarian cysts and, and she got her. Other this is exactly right. Things, yep. yep. And then the daughter, you know, then the granddaughter is, is was sick since a child. So yep. when we're pregnant, what happens is whatever nasty toxins and, and chemicals that we were never meant to have in our body and we therefore don't have enzymes to clean them out very well. They just sit in your body, you get pregnant with a baby and your body will actually clean as much rubbish as it possibly can into that into that fetus. Mm. Um, so we are getting sicker as a generation. So there's there's the chemicals that don't leave our body very well and the half-life of these chemicals. You know, you look at DDT and how long that's going to get out of the environment and, you know, it, it takes hundreds of years. Mm. Um, and we're like sponges, you know, we'll just absorb anything that's going on around us. Um, once you're, Once you've had a lot of gut-brain inflammation going on for decades or many, many years um, for chronic stress or due to too many bad organisms getting in the gut and the immune system not keeping them under control the way they should. What ends up happening, and um, I'm sure you know, the, the listeners have heard about this, is this chronic inflammatory leaky gut syndrome where, we, we, another word for that is that auto-intoxication syndrome, that the lining of the gut wall becomes damaged. Now, that's meant to be a nice impermeable layer where we swallow the outside world and then whatever we need we absorb from it whatever we don't need you end up you know removing it out the bottom end exactly um that chronic inflammatory process creates a a porous like property with the intestine and we absorb so we not only absorb a lot of the rubbish that we were never meant to and a lot of that can be undigested foods and it can be a lot of the waste products of the bad bacteria and you know, plus or minus other organisms that could be in the gut. Um, it keeps hitting the immune system, which is you know just sitting nice, nicely under the layer of that, that intestinal mucosa. And we get these in chronic inflammatory responses to and it. What are the prime factors or, or the prime things you see in clinic that are actually leading to this intestinal permeability? The cause? Yeah. The main things that you find alluding to it, you know, is it like a helicobacter thing most of the time or a parasitic thing and once again a need for, you know, gut detoxification you think that um, could could minimise the likelihood of this intestinal permeability to begin yep. with? Look, I mean, I'd have to say that stress is the initial problem that destabilises the immune system. Yep. You know, our immune systems are incredible and they normally keep a lot of these bad organisms under control in there. What then happens, though, is when the immune system can no longer 
keep that balance going, then any bad organisms that you come across in the environment, either you know potentially you were born with them from your mother or you were exposed to them with food or, or with contaminated water, then they set up home. Absolutely. And we know helicobacter causes gastric ulcers, you know, and we know that high levels of strep and that small intestinal bacterial overgrowth is, is um, uh, one of the causes of irritable bowel syndrome and chronic fatigue. And, and it just creates this constant acidic dump into your body all the time. And, and this is what fibromyalgia is. This is, you know, when your magnesium doesn't work very well. And, and I see people that are on huge amounts of supplements and it's like they're trying to mop up this mess and it's yeah, like throwing it's things working. into the bottom of the ocean. No, yeah. and, and until you get back and actually correct that intestinal layer, rebalance the immune system, and once you've got parasites and, and you know bad bacteria in there, they just maintain the process. You know, They just keep on weakening that original weakened state. Yep. And yes, you're not going to pull yourself out of it unless you actually see someone that understands these things and can treat it properly, You know, uh, reduce the infective load that's there, put the good bacteria back, strength and digestion and immunity and deal with the stress you know there's we're always very complex and there's always lots of different ways that we can get better but some ways are certainly quicker than others you know it's a catch-22 when people feel sick that's stressful yeah. you know so sometimes it's a chicken and the egg process yeah you know, i saw a study only last week um you know, a legitimate one, which was a, a really good one. There was basically three groups, obviously control group, one group that had a uh, fermented milk product with prebiotics mm. and one group that had a uh, non-fermented milk product. Mm-hmm. And they were measuring cortisol. So when we start talking about, you know, stress, obviously, yep. and gut function here, yep. most people are aware of the word cortisol because it's a bit mm. of a hype word these days. Yep. But um, the, the group that had the fermented milk product with the prebiotics had a yep. 30% reduction in cortisol. Yep. Yep. alone just by looking yep. after gut health, which yep. is pretty amazing, right? Yep. Well, you've got me onto a very passionate topic there, Shannon. Um, when I went looking for what is the best probiotics that exist, and I'd used many probiotics that were made in labs yep. and would get intermittent results with them and often very short-term results for patients. Um, once I started becoming aware of, of fermented foods and started looking at um, the old-fashioned way that you know we used to preserve food and looking at things like your kefirs and your sauerkraut and now there's very good medical-grade versions of those that exist. Um, what I realised was that healthy bacteria has to form its own home and when healthy bacteria is forced to eat living food, which is what they do when they're in um, the, the liquids, you know, the kefirs or the sauerkrauts, they actually form their own biofilm and they form a lot of live enzymes. So when when you eat those, they are ready to go to actually stick to the wall of your gut and colonise and maintain a colony for a prolonged period of time and in fact create an environment that the bad bacteria don't like very yep. much yep. and the live enzymes basically break up the home of the bad guys and, and allow the good guys to set up their own home, which has a much greater effect. So then you're then sending a, a much calmer signal to the immune system. So if you can move some of those bad guys along, they were sending the actual inflammatory stress signal to the immune system at the gut and that was then sending the stress signal back up to the brain and that was then making people feel agitated and putting their cortisol up. So if you can have an anti-inflammatory or a less inflammatory environment in your gut, absolutely, you'll see cortisol levels come down. And that's that chicken and the egg thing. You know, stress initially starts with the brain, but if it's going on in the gut, you'll feel stressed because of that. Yeah. So the second brain can actually be the one that's leading to the primary brain being stressed to begin with. That's exactly right. Yes. So talk to about about the liver because... 
I've never had a, a conversation with a doctor about liver outside yep. of disease and dysfunction because, of yep. course, you know, the general allopathic tests around liver are just your LFTs, liver function tests, yep. and they're, of course, looking for inflammation and or infection of the liver. Yep. Yep. And so if one goes to a standard GP and says, you know, hey, I've got, you know, headaches and nausea and constipation, I wake unrefreshed and, you know, my cycle's all over the place and I get premenstrual symptoms, yep. the, a standard doctor's not going to view that as anything other no. than, you know... Um, That's right. The ...symptoms that possibly That's a, right. a pill could fix. But... Yep. Um, the liver, of course, uh, is far more complex than that. Yep. And when we're having this state of dysbiosis in the gut, just talk to us th- through the sort of rate of these, you know, um, uh, unconjugated, you know, um, yep. aspects that Pathways. are going on in the gut. Yeah, and, and, and what happens mm. and essentially, you know, how it's making people feel. Sure. Um, I suppose the first thing I wanted to say was just when you look at liver function tests on the blood, you, you're really looking for liver damage. Yep. You're not; it's not a test for how well is my liver doing its job. How so well is it cleaning? We're looking for cirrhosis yeah, and exactly. viral exposure. And exactly, and you're looking for gallstones and obstruction. So, yeah. just so that people understand, you know, the difference there. Um, the the liver's job, and probably one of the best ways when I try to keep things sort of um, understandable for everyone, is that at any given point, we've got about twenty percent of our blood sitting in the liver, mm. and one of the best ways of putting it is that it adds a waterproof molecule to our fat-soluble waste products in order for the body to actually excrete them more easily. So it, it's a um, metabolic factory, really, um, and it then puts a lot of those waste products then into the bile, which would then is then excreted into the intestine, again, hoping that you're then going to eliminate it all out of the back end. Yes. Um and it has a, a filtering process of the blood in it in its own right as well. So there's those two different properties. So those pathways, there's only so many of those nutrients and there's four or five different pathways, depending on who you talk to. Yep. Um, and we call that, that one of those, those conjugation pathways. So what happens is everything from the gut gets absorbed to the back to the liver first. So all food, all nutrients gets absorbed by the portal vein and gets taken back to the liver. Then the liver changes those nutrients to a point that the body can then utilize them. So even medications, you know, if you swallow a medication, the liver will metabolize half of it before the rest of your body even gets to use it. So we do very similar things with our food. So as you can imagine, if you've got an absolute mess in your intestine and you've got huge amounts of bad organisms, you are absorbing a lot of their metabolic waste products. So those bad bacteria and bad organisms, they we and poo, just, things just, too, yeah. just the same as we do. So they're essentially and using us as a host, aren't totally, they? Totally, totally. Yep. And you know what absolutely fascinates me is that we have 10 times more organisms in our gut than we have cells in yeah, our body. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I just find that fascinating. I think so, I read like up to 10 trillion that's it. That's yeah, it. That's exactly bacterial right. cells and their genes and their that's byproducts. It. You bet. Right. So we're in fact, got me going now, sorry. So we're in fact more She's organisms. Excited, I know, I <laughs> know, on. I love this stuff. You're never going to shut me up now. Um, the organisms in in the body are controlling us. So we're then with this sort of symbiotic relationship with them. So when we absorb a lot of their metabolic wastes, that goes back to the liver. So if those pathways that are needing to clean out that rubbish are saturated, that's it. Then then the body, the liver can do no more, and the rest of those. Uh, detoxification, those sort of um, toxic products actually have to come out in some other way and they will try to come out your skin or they will try to come out your kidney um, or they will just sit in your lymphatics and that's often what causes pain and chronic pain syndromes. Yeah. Yeah, look, um, 
just a little bit more on, I guess, the uh, the physiology of the liver. So we've got yep. these yep. You know, cytochrome P450 enzymes that are taking substances like alcohol, yep. breaking it down into acetaldehyde, which is yep. you know, more toxic than yep. alcohol itself. So yep. when these phase two pathways, these five or six or pathways mm-hmm. you're talking about aren't yep. functioning properly, yep. essentially we've now got, you know, substances which are more toxic than mm. the primary substances we ingested mm, that's exactly plus right. all the you know dysbiotic bullshit i mm. like to mm. call it from Absolutely. the gut yep. it's all running in there and people wonder why they don't feel good that's exactly right you know? yes so mm. it, it is absolutely vital to have a, a liver that functions appropriately but mm. moving right along now mm-hmm. let's get down to the large bowel you mm. know? so the large mm-hmm. bowel is essentially an eliminative organ and, yep. and, and a reabsorption organ that's it. for yep. uh, for fluid but what happens if we're not defecating or moving our bowels appropriately? Mm. See, if, if things don't move through the bowel within 72 hours, and in fact, you know, the proper transit time would be more 24 to 36 hours when it goes from the mouth back out to the other end, yep. then we just reabsorb all that rubbish. Yep. And that's very common, especially in women with hormonal problems where mm. they're getting their estrogen excess and estrogen dominant syndromes and they're getting their endometriosis and any hormonal symptoms. Um what happens with the liver if it's not working properly and it's not eliminating things, it just dumps it into the bowel and then you're just going to reabsorb whatever that liver may have had the chance to clean anyway. Mm. And that can happen certainly at that, that small bowel level but also at the large bowel level as well. So let's use an example of a woman taking the pill, right? The yep. pill's like the, the new thing everyone's on yep. these days. Yep. So we're taking the pill. We know pill the pill um, can increase the risk of dysbiosis. Mm. Uh, we know that you know one of the main pathways in the liver is actually breaking estrogen down. And we yep. know that, that other than you know um, the kidneys, of course, which excrete urine, mm. the large bowel is going to be one of the um, major ways that the body will excrete uh, estrogen mm. from the body. So mm. if we've got a woman on the pill who's constipated, mm. I treat lots of these. Mm. You know, yep. one moves yep. their bowels once or twice yep. a week. Yep, we've got problems, right? Yeah, absolute disaster. I mean, what amazes me is that we actually all stay as healthy as we do mm. in the middle of this absolute toxic mess. Absolutely, yeah. that we... And so when that girl all of a sudden gets diagnosed with breast cancer at yep. 35 or something, it's yep. not really all that surprising, is it? No, you know, no. It's more but, surprising she didn't get it earlier. That's right. But look, the scary thing is that, you know, when we're trained in medicine, we're not trained in, in preventive medicine. We're trained in there's a problem, you know, you've almost got to wait for a problem to happen. Yeah. And then we're trained in how to then manage that problem. Um, but yeah, look, absolutely. When you sit back and you look at it in hindsight, it seems obvious, doesn't it? You know, that that woman is going to have some hormonal, you know, disaster imminent, you know. And you're seeing a, 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 a rise, I'd imagine, in hormonal dysfunction. Mm, yeah. mm. So, you know, yep. tell us yep. about that. I think a lot of people don't realise that there's a lot of pollutants and, and toxins in our environment that have hormonal properties. Um, all plastics have estrogen-like properties. Um, the lovely lead that we've been pumping out into our atmosphere before we had the unleaded petrol, even that has estrogenic properties. Mm-hmm. So you've got chemicals around us that do that. Um, and and you're talking here even things like the internal lining of tins, right? You know, Absolutely. A lot of people you know? having their tin of tuna every day not thinking about the fact that they're actually nope. ingesting substances which nope. are containing estrogenic properties. That's it. And you go and get your coffee and you've got hot coffee and you're drinking it through a plastic lid at yeah. the top. You know, every time you suck on that plastic lid, your body is absorbing um, some of those uh, beautiful estrogen-orientated chemicals. That's that exactly right. You know, and the hotter it is, the worse it gets. You know, those soft plastic bottles that heat up in the car. Uh, it's, I certainly wouldn't be drinking the water, you know, after it's been sitting and so your advice for people, let's not even just, um, you know, alienate women here because we know the effect of estrogen on, you know, prostate, prostate uh, in, in, yep. in men, right? But mm. 
So your advice for people uh, in modern times is to get back to basics, I'd imagine? Mm, you know? Absolutely. You know, look, it's it, it can be difficult, um, but certainly if you can get back more to using your glass-based um, uh you know, drinking, drinking where? exactly. Yeah. You know, um, the stainless steel, um, and, and at the absolute worst, you know, case scenario, if you have to use something plastic, the harder plastics are generally better than the softer ones. Do you, Do you have girls, or you... I have three daughters. Three yes. daughters. Yes. So this is a fear of mine. I'm just going to um, throw it out there because I know that you know <laughs> yep. I've got two yep. girls, as you know, and yes. uh, a lot of our listeners are no doubt um, mothering or fathering daughters. How do we protect our girls these days? You know, like, mm. seriously, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it as it is. Back when mm. I was a kid, mm. you know, like girls didn't have boobs until they were 16. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, yep. With exception, of course. And uh, yes. us blokes do notice these things. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, these days you've got just you know women developing faster. We've got girls, you know, hitting menarche at mm. you know, nine and ten years of age. You know, due mm. to the obesity epidemic and wherever there's fat, there's estrogen and all this. Yeah, you know, like. Yep. But let's go to obesity. Let's yep. let's go yep. to our kids. Yep. Let's go to yep. all this estrogen because yep. you know you talk about the fact you can't believe we've really got it good at the moment, given mm. how tragic mm. the environment is. Mm. What about our kids? Mm. No, oh, you're absolutely right. Look, because I shit the... myself about like yep. the effect for my daughters. Yep. yep. Look, it's I educate them every day. You know, I'm trying to give them a little bit of of what we know and what we know now, and my only way that I can see that they're going to be able to survive is to teach them how to actually keep their body clean and how to actually keep their body detoxifying. Um, Oestrogen is such a... It's one of the greatest, I suppose, toxins that that women um, have in their body and and men secondarily. And so if your detoxification pathways are already overloaded with a whole lot of other stuff, the the oestrogen tends to get... It just sort of sits there. It's in this holding pattern until the body goes, all right, well, when I'm actually cleaning better, then I'll get rid of you. So if you've got everything else working better, then the body will be able to deal with the estrogen better. And if you keep inflammation levels down, the body can stay clean more easily and it can compensate for things that are going wrong in the body. You know, we have beautiful backup plans in our body at a biochemical level and we need to know how to harness that. Yeah, and I think trusting that too, you know, because mm, it's very absolutely. easy to get caught up, I guess, in the fear of it all. Definitely, definitely. Um, you know, yep. and I, I really um, don't like people to get to the point where they think, you know, what's the point? You know, yep. it's, it's all too yep. hard, you know. Yep. But just using that young girl as an example, you know, you've either got her on the pill or producing estrogen, you know, mm. via her own ovaries. You've mm. got, you know, tampons every month that she's using and, and, yep. and taking away toxic shock syndrome, of course. Absolutely. You've got one <laughs> yes. of the most, you know, hideously sprayed plants on the earth, which yep. of course has estrogen metabolites within it. Yep. Um, once again, though, you know, staying away from these tinned cans, you know, and, and, and trying to eat more fresh foods and keeping fibre up, of course, because mm. fibre obviously binds to, um, to yep. hormones and helps yep. to move it from the body. Yep. Um, low fibre in our diet is a horrendous problem, correct? Yes, you know, absolutely. People just don't get enough mm. fibre and hence why yep. we get these impactions and the like. Yep. Um, you know, for me, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but for me, this is where detoxification just becomes vital. Mm. Uh, absolutely. And if you... If you have a body that is, the the gut is being looked after better, you know, if you're taking your probiotics and you're helping the liver detoxify better and you're constantly repairing the gut, then you will eliminate the excess estrogens and the extra toxins more efficiently. And as you say, if you're looking after your fibre and putting your antioxidants in, um, I've had to resort to using certain supplements for patients because food alone was going to take too long um, and that their body needed extra support in 
that cleansing function yeah. um, and often cleansing out the estrogen specifically. I mean, my my backup plan with my daughters, because I'm sure eventually we'll be talking contraception. Um, my eldest is only 11, so, you know, it's some yeah. way off at the moment. Um, but when and if, you know, we need to look at, at hormonal anythings or just their own hormonal well-being themselves, then she will, I will basically say, well, you're not going to take anything unless you actually know how to get that stuff out of you. Yeah. You know, I might even have a test. I don't yeah. know. We'll see what happens. <laughs> There'll be. So, so yeah. I, I think that's a great point because I'm not a fan of the OCP. Oh, no, and, sure. And, and, uh, and it's not because I'm a naturopath because yep. like you, I see a, a very strong place in the world for, mm. Um, mm. for pharmaceuticals. And, um, you know, and, and sometimes I, I will recommend um, the pill just mm. when we've got, you know, women or young girls in such a severe state mm. Uh, mm. of discomfort and pain that, mm. you know, sometimes the best thing you can do is just give them quality of life for a few months and then mm. worry about it later, right? So yep. I don't want people to think that I'm, I'm, I'm completely anti it. But, um, you know, you you believe that it's possible to take the pill as a woman who obviously wants a great contraceptive and wants mm-hmm. all those awesome things the pill gives yep. us, right? Regular yep. time yep. periods and all that cool stuff. Yep. Um, you believe it's possible to take something like that and then look at um, estrogen detoxifiers at the mm. same time to mm. move it from the body effectively? Look, absolutely. I mean, look, I... I there is no doubt that the pill is not good for us. You know, there's no doubt about that. Um, but I look after a lot of women who have very severe endometriosis. Yeah. And because that condition is so chronic, um, if we don't look after their endometriosis and suppress it very quickly then, then their dangers of becoming infertile are quite high for yep. the future. So we have women that have to be on the pill purely for those reasons, regardless of whether it's a contraception, you know, lifestyle choice. Sure. Um, so it's something that I've had to look at anyway. Um, so definitely I think that if you're assessing each body independently and you're looking at where the weaknesses are, how that body can detoxify better, then you can say, all right, good, we'll get that functioning more powerfully and then we will give you a specific estrogen detoxifier um, and we'll look after your gut and we'll look after the liver. And yes, I do think that, that you can be on the pill safely. I love it. Mm. Yeah, I love it. That's cool because, you know, I've, I've and I, I love hearing that from you because I've never understood the treatment of endometriosis with the pill. Um, right. Yep. Okay. I, only because I've never found it a treatment. It's a it's a suppressor and that's Oh, all. definitely. And yeah. sometimes yep. I, I get the point for suppression. But um, you know, being a condition too which is estrogen dominant, I yep. never saw the point in giving estrogen to, okay. to yep. actually fix it, you know? Yep. yep. Um but yeah, I I love that. I think it's a really cool way to I guess look at worlds colliding mm. and giving mm. people the quality of mm. life they deserve but also giving them the treatment they require to make sure it doesn't exacerbate symptoms down the track yep yep um right. ibs dr ellen oh my goodness you know, yes because we're living in a world now where it's it's everywhere right it and i want to get back is. to that gut brain thing as yep. well because I, I i'm aware of the studies around um you know ssris and, and ibs you know yep. disappearing with treatment mm. in some cases of course yep what's your thoughts on ibs and um, what's your general treatment protocol for it yep okay so IBS, to my mind, is it's a um, chronic inflammatory condition. Irritable of, bowel syndrome, too. People, this is right. Sorry, sorry yep, um, of the gut, but it is it is a stress based cause mm. problem. So the brain is sending a stress based signal to that enteric nervous system in the gut, and that is then sending an inflammatory stress signal to the immune system. So then there will be a chronic inflammatory low grade process. So it's not anything that you see if you go down and look at it. You know, with a with a telescope, or you do a an endoscopy, there's you're no not going to see anything. Detected. Like, hence, hence no. why people go in for a, you know heads and tails, so to yep. speak, the colonoscopy yep. and endoscopy, exactly. yep. and come back just being told you're fine. This is right. So, it's really happening at a cellular level. Yep. Um, it's not affecting the tissues at, at that point, but the brain is interpreting those signals from the gut in an over exaggerated way. Now we know that serotonin 
is a calming brain neurotransmitter. However, like I said before, about 75% of that is made in the gut anyway. But when people are given any form of enhancing their serotonin effect, then often they do feel more relaxed. So they do send that more relaxed signal back down to the gut. Now, a a serotonin reuptake inhibitor, a, a, a you know drug-based antidepressant, is not fixing the cause, but it is giving you temporary relief. Symptomatic relief, yeah. So um, I still then get people to then say, all right, well, I've got, I get most of my patients don't want to be on a drug anyway, or they've been on one and have had very negative side effects from it mm-hmm. um, and want to understand their condition better and treat the true cause of it. So we work not only on stress management strategies, and, and they can be vastly different for different people because we all de-stress in different ways but when you actually work on reducing the inflammation in the low, in the small intestine um, we're able to get rid of you know, 95% of people's irritable bowel mm-hmm. symptoms. So I then have a look at, I think the, the best thing to explain it to people is that temporarily your digestive system is weakened so I then make sure that they are on a food program that is more easily digestible and absorbed by the body and a lot of people find that dairy and gluten irritate them so just take the load off just take the load off and look it's I I tend to say to people it's temporary don't get too caught up in it everyone is paranoid about food at the moment so I try to make it you know understandable for people and we then look at repairing the whole lining of the gut and I've found that those fermented foods, um, and I've found especially the a lot of the liquid-based fermented foods, we use a, a fermented medical-grade um, papaya, which I find very effective. So you're getting not only the live enzymes of the papaya, but mm. because of the fermentation process, the healthy bacteria are much more powerful. The enzymes have been further activated by the bacteria, yep. um, and it, it itself has a stabilizing effect on the immune system and, and has an antioxidant property. Um, I then look at repairing the, the deeper layers of the gut because you've been left with this um, uh, leaky gut, you know, chronic inflammatory damage that's been going on. And, and there's some very good products with, um, I find the inacetyl glucosamine, those activated glucosamines, very good at rehealing a lot of those yeah. watertight junctions yep. at the, the enterocytes, the cells in the intestine. Um, and then the immune system can start functioning more normally because when you've got an immune system that's chronically being bombarded with toxins from bad bacteria and um, poorly digested food your immune system is constantly sending this stressed inflammatory pain signal you know back not only to the local muscles around the intestine but back up to the brain so the, the the liver does play a role in changing the environment in the gut as well and and so a lot of people um uh, depending on, on what their bile production is like in the liver. You, when bile is flowing well, it actually changes the pH within the intestine and it actually creates an environment that the bad bacteria don't like as much as well. So we, I do tend to have to look at the liver as well as the gut in an irritable bowel yeah, sure. syndrome. And um, results. How, mm-hmm. how long if, if we get a chronic IBS sufferer, yep. Yep. how long are we looking at generally as a yardstick yep. for there to be a, a, a reduction in symptoms that's significant enough for them to say, hey, I think I'm a lot better yep. than I was. Oh, look, I mean, I'm always surprised if people don't feel better in two weeks, then yep. I'm not doing enough. You know, yep. then there's something else going on. So talk mm-hmm. to me about gluten. Gluten, one yep. of these things yep. these days that everyone's got an opinion on. Yep. Um, I'll give you mine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just, <laughs> yeah, and, yep. and I'm going to get away from zonulin and all that cool stuff we know about gluten now. Yep. I, I just see gluten as being a protein that doesn't add anything, mm-hmm. do you know? So yep. it's, it's if, if, and I do eat gluten, by mm-hmm. the way. I don't mm-hmm. eat a lot of it, but yep. I have a low gluten diet. But whether I'm eating it or not, it, it's not giving me anything. There's, mm. no, there's no property that it's actually mm. providing me with. Mm. So mm. I find it 
uh, easy enough just to avoid gluten. Yep. But in my work with athletes over the years, I have found undoubtedly that people perform better and recover better off gluten. Mm. That's my yep. finding. Yep. So when you're taking gluten out of one's diet to help repair, um, you know, a, a weakened gut. Yep. Um, do you generally put it back in or are you someone that sort of is more a, a philosopher around low gluten or no gluten diets anyway? Okay. Personally, I, I know it's different for each patient of and course, where they're at. You want to stress them over Of it. course. Look, I think that the, probably the easiest, my honest answer, and again, because food is hard now and people are very stressed over food, which is why I'm hesitating with my answer because I don't want to create stress and drama for no. people. Um I, I agree with you um, that gluten does not add any nutritional value to the body. It is a large protein and it is very hard to digest. And most of our gluten-based foods have been over-processed, over-refined. Mm. They've got pesticides. They've been genetically modified. You know, So the vast majority of gluten that the average people are eating out, out there at the moment, there are a whole lot of other negatives that are coming with the food that the gluten is in. Yeah. And because it is a difficult-to-digest protein, you are constantly putting in a stressor into the gut. Now, what I say to people is, look, so much of it is about stress. I find the people that are less stressed have stronger digestive systems. So I find people can go on holiday and they can eat gluten two or three times a week when they're away on holiday mm-hmm. or they go to Europe and the gluten is a different genetic oh, modification. I'm so glad of, you know. That. <laughs> I've got people who are like celiacs apparently yep. Yep. who can go to Italy or mm-hmm. go to France yep. and, and eat, you know, pizzas and pasta and, you know, yep. profiteroles and mm-hmm. things, croissants yes. and have no problems. Absolutely. Come back here, you know, get off and think, wow, I'm, I'm cured, grab yep. one, you know, baguette and yep. they're on the toilet yep. the next half an hour. You know, what you've got to remember is that our immune systems are very complex. And if your immune system is agitated and you keep putting in the same protein all the time, your immune system basically um, recognises that as almost like a low-grade allergy. It's not a true allergy, but it's a a low-grade irritant. So if suddenly, and it gets sensitised to that particular type of gluten, so if suddenly you are putting in a protein that is gluten but looks different, it's a different structured gluten, your immune system doesn't really know what it is. So it hasn't pre-sensitised itself to that particular version of gluten, if that makes sense. That's interesting. So, yes, so then when I, I have, so the practicalities are, I say to people, look, if it is more stressful to not eat it, just eat it. You know what I mean? But I say to them, eat it as infrequently as is compatible with you enjoying life. Yeah, absolutely. If that makes sense. And that's what I do. I just have a, I have a gluten-free household, but yep. when I go out, yep. you know, if I'm going to go out there and have a burger, I'll have the burger. Good. And, yeah. don't, and don't think twice about yeah. it. But um, it's interesting. Uh, I just forgot about my point I was trying to make just then. Yeah, I run a lot of ALCAT testing with my patient base. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, ALCAT testing, of course, looking at the um, leukocyte reaction to a, f- yep. to a food antigen yep. yeah, r- rather than looking at IgA and IgG testing, yep. which is probably more valid in its own way. But I find the ALCAT testing for me and my patient base works great. But I, I honestly find not less than 80% of people mm. have at least a mild reaction to gluten yep. in response to their immune system. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I mm. can't avoid that. Yes, yeah, it's exactly right. You so, know, when the evidence is there... Um, and people see it for themselves. Um, and I, I, I must I agree with you. Look, I prefer that test. There's, And this is when I stopped doing a lot of testing because yeah. what we realised with food is that we can only officially test specific immunoglobulins for two out of the five different ways that our immune system can respond That's to right. food. So if you get a negative back for a certain food, 
it, it doesn't really help you because it doesn't tell you whether the body is reacting in those three other ways to the yep. same food. Yep. If you get a positive, then you absolutely know <laughs> that it's a problem. Yep. But what I actually find is when you go back and reheal the gut, you do that same test a year later yep. and the body has lost that reaction. Exactly. And this is where people are getting very confused with, yeah. with our food intolerances. So mm. give us your, your personal philosophy around food. And I'm talking just for Ellen. Let's take the mm-hmm. doctor hat off for a mm-hmm. moment. Yep. Um, what, what do you adhere to? What, what sort of structure or, or philosophy do you follow around your own okay. food? So in a, in, a, in a big picture, um, we have a gluten-free household as well. My, I mean, having three daughters, um, they are five, five, seven, eleven now. Yep. Um, they, they eat, they like to eat carbohydrates. And they and they like grains, and and they can growing. afford more of them because of it. their growth. And they're right. growing. Yeah. So, I suppose I personally have a more paleo uh, orientation to food, but I still eat legumes. Yes. And I don't eat dairy. Yep. Um, in a perfect world, um, I have the protein and the greens, and you know the eggs and um, whatever protein is around, you know, for breakfast in the morning, or I might do protein shake um and i might put in uh, so i'd use an organic fermented brown rice protein shake yeah. with organic fermented greens in it you know things like your spirulina your wheatgrass your barley grass but i make sure they're fermented because yeah. i think a lot of people are throwing in their greens and they're not digesting and absorbing them well yeah. Yeah. um so that that could be you know the breakfast with raw almonds and and cashews and things in there um lunch because our digestion is stronger at lunchtime, my philosophy is that we should, when possible, and it's very hard for a lot of people now in our busy modern world, is to have that bigger, bigger lunch with more more protein and then your lower carbohydrate, non-starchy veggies and and salads, and then to have after three o'clock, I tend to say to people, your body is normally moving into a cleansing detoxification process. So, I look at your body wants to create energy during the day and it wants to clean overnight. Mm-hmm. So from three o'clock onwards, we try to have more a lighter form of eating, whether that's more uh, vegetarian style um, soups, sometimes just a juice, um, and that that's in that bigger picture. That's how that's how I eat. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas for my husband, he is fairly big man um, and he's very very busy and he finds it very very difficult to make that work. Yeah. He knows he feels better when yeah. he eats like that, but so he'll get up. Well, the whole most of our family will start the day with eggs in the morning. Um, and good are eggs, seriously. Oh, you know the perfect exactly. superfood, aren't they? That's exactly <laughs> absolutely. Um, and then he'll often not have time for lunch, but he knows when he stops and he has lunch, and he eats that kind of more protein and, and veggies or you know um, salad that he feels better. And then what if he hasn't eaten anything? And then he'll come home and he'll have still more a paleo-orientated meal. Um, And that's what suits him. The kids are more into some of the gluten-free grains. um, And so they'll have their, uh, you know, more their their quinoa or their buckwheat or Mm. um, those sort of grains. And then we've got bread versions of those. Um, And then the school lunch is always entertaining, but we try to keep it as healthy as possible. Um, And then they'll – I try to get them more into the nutritious versions of – uh, of of the grains that are available, yep. um, and trying to bring in more um, vegetarian meals, and you know because we 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 hadn't been vegetarian. I um, 
sort of slowly started weaning off meat. I remember about 15 years ago, I tried to become vegetarian, felt very, very weak at Sound the time. Like me. I tried that too. <laughs> it didn't work for me. 12 I thought, months, I thought, Oh, I thought ethically, ethically, I know this is what I want to do, yeah. um, but I just didn't feel good. Yeah. And this is where sometimes, even if ethically you, you feel a certain decision, um, it doesn't always mean that it's right for your body. Yeah. Interestingly, I started taking a supplement, um, and this is a molecular hydrogen-based supplement. This is the Hydro Regen, um, and it it um, is one of the most powerful antioxidants that I could find, and it totally changed my entire gut environment, and I could then become a vegetarian. Wow. It was fascinating, and I think a lot of what was happening, and for a lot of people, they don't really digest and absorb their protein particularly well. Mm. Um, and so it is It is very interesting, you know, how we compensate for some of our inadequacies yep. in our body yep. with food, but we have to listen to our bodies and our bodies change, you know, with time. Um, and I must admit, I know we're talking before um, before we started the podcast about Pete Evans and, and I think he has made that conversion away from a lot of grains very user-friendly, mm. you know, for people. Um, and one of the biggest changes I've seen with my patients is actually when they do take the grains out of their out of their diet, even if they were having gluten-free grains before. Because what happens is when the gut environment is out of balance, those bad guys, they need to eat too. Mm. And they eat grains and anything that we don't digest a lot more easily than any other food. Mm. So not only are you having more nutrients when you take grains out and put back in, you know, your high nutritional vegetables and salads and, and proteins, but you're then making it more difficult for those bad guys to live in you, which then improves people's energy and, and gut symptoms and their detoxification pathways as well. And so if you more in, if you move more in line of that paleo lifestyle mm-hmm. and obviously looking at the fact we know that the you know, just the omega sixes and nines of grains set up a high rate of inflammation mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, this means you move um, you move in the opposite direction generally of the uh, the Australian food pyramid. Yep. Yes, you're doing. Um, and or the Amer- American Agricultural mm. Society mm. food pyramid. Mm. Yes. Yes. I really don't want to go there. <laughs> um, and I and I think you know potentially, you see, if if a body is less stressed, it can actually cope with more grains. Yeah. So you know it it, it is difficult to make um, you know a food program that is going to suit. Every Everyone. person. Yeah. But there is no doubt that we have a huge increase in our diabetes and, and in our blood sugar fluctuations. And most people's bodies do not cope with these high glycemic index foods. Yeah. And not to mention the way we're now manufacturing and the genetic engineering and the processing. And by the time we're eating them, there's almost no nutritional value left in them anyway. Yeah. Um, and because we've got this different gut environment that potentially we had when they created that food pyramid, our, our bodies are responding badly. The, the, the average person's body is responding badly mm. you know, to these grains. And so for most of my patients, yep, they don't even look at that pyramid. They just live on you know, their, their vegetables and their protein and their good quality, um, probably more seed-like grains, you know, more, more your quinoa, more your buckwheat, you yep. know, amaranth, those sort yep. of things. Yep. Um, and they just feel it. They feel it within 24 hours. So what about the broader community then? Because the average mm. person goes to a doctor to have yep. management of their type 2 diabetes. Yep. The doctor sends them off to the dietitian yep. who tells them to eat you know, whole grains regularly and often. Yep. And, and these yep. people end up on, you know, 60, 80 IUs of insulin a day when they really could be on 20, 25. So yep. there's this, 
concurrent mismanagement, I believe, and you don't mm. need to agree with me, but this mismanagement of a lot of these um, chronic conditions out there in the marketplace, mm. you then look at obesity, you know, and you start to think, well, hang on, we're, we've got a gut that's not functioning well. Mm. We're eating all these inflammatory grains that are consistently leading to further problems. Do people really have a chance mm. against obesity when following, mm. you know, typical protocol? Yep. Look, yeah, if, if your body is inflamed and you've got a gut full of bad bacteria and you're struggling with your weight, if you are still eating grains, you are making it very, very difficult for yourself. There is no doubt about it. Mm. That information about glycemic index and glycemic load in, in food is slowly filtering in to yep. the conventional medical faculty and to the dietitians. So it is slowly changing. Um, interestingly, um, as well as removing um, you know, um, glycemic index, high glycemic index foods, one of the biggest changes I've seen with people with insulin resistance is the 5-2 fasting programs you know where most of i'm sure your listeners know where five days a week you're eating whatever you would normally eat but two days a week you are dramatically lowering your calories so i would have you know women with 500 calories or less for those for those fasting days or detox days um and men with 600 calories or less and on when you drop that calorie load your body is then forced to relearn how to burn fat for energy, and, and mm. this is what high levels of insulin stop us doing. They, they, as I know you know, you know, they stop us burning fat. Well, it potentiates and the production of too. That, that's exactly right, um, because it, a lot of the type two diabetes patients were starting, you know, to trial this, and they would measure their own blood sugar levels, and within two weeks, their blood sugar levels, even on the days when they were eating normally, they'd gone back to normal. Yeah. Um, now these are people that. Their type 2 diabetes had only been present for a few years. You know, we're not talking yep. you know, 30 years down the track. Yep. Um, but what was so heartening was how much, you know, healing ability and regenerative ability we have at our disposal that we don't we don't use. Um, and it, and when then when these patients came in and said, look, but I need to know what I should be eating on those two days in order to maximise my results. You know, and this is when we had to start looking at some of those fermented superfoods and, all right, well, if you're restricting your calories, what is the maximal nutritional intake uh, that you can take, you know, within those restricted calories? And this is when I started looking at those fermented superfoods and fermented spirulina and the barley grass and the wheatgrass and, and looking at the fermented organic brown rice proteins um, so that because people were scared that their metabolism would be worse. Yeah. after doing those those fasting programs. So what we found is when we put people on um, protein powders that had the fermented superfoods, and these are, these are things like the clean energy protein powder, um, that their metabolism just continued to increase, you know, yeah. week by week by week of doing these programs. So Tell that's, us about your range of products, uh, Dr. Ellen, because I'm aware you've got a range of products. I know that you've got some detox stuff. Tell people about them. Well, it, it all actually came about because of that particular program with patients coming in and saying, look, I'm feeling really motivated at the moment. I know my gut's out of whack. I know my liver's out of whack. Um, and I'm really happy to do these, you know, a few days of, of a detox or um, these this 2-5 program where two days a week, you know, I'm only eating um, very restricted amounts. So let's make those two days really detoxifying. Mm. Um, and I was trying to create um, a, a type of food or a superfood for them where they would get all the nutrients they need, still be energised on those days um, and not only doing their body an enormous amount of good. So this is when the, the fermented food detox was born you know, with, with that concept and, um, and it, it's, I tend to make it very user-friendly for people. Some people will do it 10 days in a row. 
other people find that a bit overwhelming and yep. they would prefer to do two days here and there or a five-day hit or just start and do a day-by-day and see how they feel. So in that program, there is one of the liquid organic kefirs. So it's based on all gluten-free um, seed-like grains that are then fermented with um, very powerful probiotics, um, healthy bacteria, and in a lemon base. So we know that lemon can help stimulate bile through the liver. Sure. And then it comes with um, a, a pot of the fermented superfood that's more your high-protein superfood. So things like your spirulina, your sunflower seeds, um, and uh, people would take a teaspoon you know, two or three times a day depending on their energy levels. Then people needed that extra protein powder. So that's when we created the clean energy protein powder that had the organic fermented rice protein and the organic greens in it. And we put some alkalinizing minerals, some magnesium citrate and potassium citrate and calcium citrate in there um, because minerals do neutralize inflammation and acidity in the body, as you know. So people then found that when they just ate those foods, that the entire gut their inflammation calmed down, um, they felt cleaner, they felt lighter. And I would never want to say that, you know, that alone is going to cure any particular condition. But what you do is you, if you can lower someone's inflammation, then you allow the body to start coping better with whatever problem that body had. And you start that cleansing process um, and you don't have, you're not feeding the bad bacteria to start with. So they are not making as many toxic metabolites um, the gut lining is getting a rest you know what fascinates me is that almost every ancient culture fasts yeah. every, every year yeah. you know they give their gut a rest and it would be liquids you know at the most and their inflammatory levels are lower than in our western world and where we just want to fast feels better absolutely fast for a day fast for two days fast for a week people generally it. feel lighter yep you are immediately dropping your inflammatory markers you know yep. we've measured them it, it's all scientifically proven yep. um and obesity and all these chronic conditions they all have an origin in inflammation hmm. so if you can not only lower the inflammation but then force your insulin to function more efficiently and allow the gut lining to start repairing it then means when you then go and put food back in your body's going to cope better with it yeah you know we're a very dynamic being i mean every five days your gut lining is renewing itself (laughs) so that was why originally i made the detox 10 days because you get two cycles of that um but look even two days or five days you know that the more you can do the better um so then then i kept thinking about inflammation and some people, um, that they felt great on, on the fasting days, but they needed more or they had a condition that, you know, was going to take a while to get better just doing it that way. Um, so that was when I went looking for what, what is the most powerful antioxidant that, that is out there. And I started looking at a lot of the research for molecular hydrogen. And it is absolutely fascinating. You know, we, it, it is in um, a lot of our conventional medical journals. Um, a lot of the original studies were done on um, let's infuse water with hydrogen or um, uh, let's make you breathe it, you know, on a, mm. on a you know, hydrogen cylinder. So things that were fairly impractical. Um, but a, um, that's, a not, that's, not in, that's not impractical to run around with a tank <laughs> on your back all day. What are you talking about? <laughs> you, get, you get pretty strong. <laughs> but um, a, a biochemist in America um, patented the ability to actually um, be able to make molecular hydrogen just through a capsule and these he did this by activating minerals very very clever man um and that's the hydro regen um supplement that um that we looked at and that we now produce um and the change i've seen with people when they take you know 
one or two or three of these capsules a day. So what's it its just, action? Tell me. So the, the actual action is when you swallow it, when those activated minerals hit the water in your gut, it actually produces molecular hydrogen. So molecular hydrogen, interestingly, healthy bacteria, if we had enough healthy bacteria, we would make about a litre of molecular hydrogen a day. And so because of these chronic gut conditions that we've got now, yeah, my back foot. this is it. You know, I mean, I do bias grains on people and look at their, and they've almost got no healthy bacteria living mm. in their intestines. It's, I don't know how it's compatible with life at all. Mm. So we've lost that, <laughs> that normal protective function. So molecular hydrogen, it's one of the smaller elements. So it can actually infuse through the cells. See, what happens is when our body has been inflamed for a very long time, our cell membranes become damaged and they're damaged everywhere, you know, brain, bone, liver, you know, not just in the intestine. So when cell membranes are damaged, they actually don't move nutrients in and out of them very well. So Mm. a lot of people are a bit stuck, you know, and that's what these, these chronic acidic chronic inflammatory toxic conditions produce. They produce cells that can no longer heal themselves. So even when people are taking the right thing, um, it's either not working very well or they're not getting many benefits at all. So what the molecular hydrogen does is not only does it start neutralizing a lot of that inflammation in the lining of the cell wall, because when you know cell membranes are made of fats um, and when they become oxidized and damaged, they can't hold the transport um, tubes very well that actually move those nutrients in and out. And then the DNA gets damaged and then the actual mitochondria in our cell, the very thing that, that we need to create energy, all of that's damaged because the energy is actually made on the lining of those cell membranes. So we're looking at how do we heal those cell membranes and that, that's what the molecular hydrogen does. It actually allows those membranes to heal, um, gets the nutrients, helps those the transport mechanisms work. So you're then getting the benefit out of anything else that you're taking or doing, mm. uh, not only your own you know innate healing ability. So it... Um, and it dropped that inflammation in the gut very well. It does start a bit of a detoxification process for a lot of people um, because when the cells start becoming healthier, they can suddenly see all the rubbish that's sitting start around in them, you bet, and just you. go, I'm getting this stuff out of me. Yeah. Um, and what's also quite beautiful is it turns on the production of our own detoxification um, ability. You know, we, we would normally make a lot of glutathione, which is one of the main detoxificating um, proteins. Another liver substance. Yeah, this is exactly Mm. right. You know, and this is the only way, uh, we talked about right at the beginning of the podcast, about how we're going to survive this this toxic world that we're living in. Mm. Um, And so it goes without saying, I've given the girls this (laughs) hydrogen supplement, um, you know, for, you know, ever since we, it started, which was maybe 18 months ago. And I've already seen, you know, the changes in them. um, And that's one of my pathways to keeping them well. And so when you talk about, you know, surviving modern times, times mm. uh, other than the fact you know that uh, i know you said we're, we're, we're complex organisms mm. but in many ways when you break down what we've discussed today we're really quite simple mm. aren't we yep. you know yep. um amongst that complexity but when you talk about living in modern times and surviving it well um you're talking about the need to not just detoxify but to look at these oxidative and you know sort of glycation processes mm. that are going on mm that are destroying cell function Absolutely. and this, this um, what's the product, hydro, the hydro regen, regen. Yeah, designed yeah. to do that. Mm, absolutely. Look, it gives, it, it helps neutralise the damage and it helps give your body an ability to, to cope with it. Yeah. Um, plus it's, you know, I mean, I, I look at it as the fact that we know most of those chronic diseases, like I said, are, are based on that chronic inflammatory process and anything you can do to keep inflammation under control is a great insurance program. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Final thoughts, mm. philosophies, thoughts, ideas, anything you want to just, you know, translate out there to our, our listeners? Oh, we're going to get 
philosophical now. Well, I know you spoke. So, you spoke a lot about fear, and it's funny. Mm. I sit with you. Um, I hadn't met you until today. Yep. I get a really strong sense of the fact that you uh, you've got quite a, uh, a strong spiritual component to you. You spoke about love a few times. Yep. I, seriously, I love that. Yeah. You know, despite yep. that pun, um, but I think it's beautiful because that's not a normal thing within the medical fraternity that you've got you know a practitioner talking about the fact that you know these ascended states uh, yep. lead to a, a position where the body can self heal, but. Um, yeah, you've also spoken to about not scaring your patient yeah. base, you know, which is also not normal, you know, to the point where you won't necessarily even go through a diagnostic process straight away because you know that the, you know, stress head on the other side of the table might freak out and go yep. go the other way. So, yep. Yep. you know, just your philosophies on life, just a, a couple of takeaways for yep. our listeners that, yep. that, that may help them in their own world. Beautiful. Look, um, I probably the most sensible philosophy I've ever looked at is is very Buddhist based I'm, yeah. I'm not a buddhist they i was brought up are, yeah they? i was brought up a catholic you know and yeah. i'm thinking well if the buddhists had it worked out 5000 years ago i don't know why we need to reinvent the wheel yeah, we don't um no <laughs> <laughs> but we will you're right you're right yeah. shouldn't waste any energy um look i think it was talking about the complexity of when when we work through all of our layers of of fear and concern and insecurity and you look about when 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 do you feel the happiest in life and it's often when love is unconditional and you are doing what you know is making the world a better place Mm -hmm. and you know you're proud of of the way you're conducting yourself um and this is what I say to my girls so I must sound like a broken record but um that that is my yardstick as to you know how do we all judge whether we're doing the right thing um there is a beautiful book that am I allowed to talk about? Of book? course, please. Yeah, there's probably a book that I read that I get a lot of my patients to read. Um, that I think if every human being on this planet read that book, um, it would make things a lot happier. Um, written by a British psychologist Dr. Dennis Turch, T I R C H, and he's written a book called The Compassionate Mind Guide to Overcoming Anxiety. And I find that anxiety is. Um, it, it's just this epidemic now. It's yeah. That's exactly right. And when in, whenever any of us are anxious or angry or frustrated, um, we don't make good choices, and we, and we may we make choices based upon a fear foundation rather than a love foundation, which is you know in the bigger picture, what do I actually need to do right now mm. to make the world you know a better place? Yeah. Um, so I suppose they're my. They're my thoughts. I think it's beautiful, you know. And my my takeaway um, from just from what you've spoken about is really that without stress, mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff doesn't it doesn't exist. It's exactly or, right. Or, or, yeah. or it's at least on its pathway to allowing the body innately to go through this process of self healing. You know, which which yep. it does know to do. It's done it for millions of years. And yep. um, yeah, I, I really really appreciate your time. I think our listeners are going to get an awful lot from this conversation. Shane, thank you so much. Um, thank you for having me. How, on. how can people um, contact you? Anyone that lives on the coast here that yep. is interested in consultations? And yep, beautiful. Look, I mean, they can call the medical sanctuary. Um, we're here at Benoa. Yep, excellent. Well, it's been fa- fascinating and fantastic, thank and I appreciate you, your time. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks so much. Beautiful. Thank you for listening to this episode of Caravan Conversations, proudly produced by PSE Supplements. To see more about the podcast, including notes from the episode, please visit caravanconversations.com. You can also follow PSE Supplements at pse.com.au or search for PSE Supplements on Facebook. 